Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are reviewing the most recent episode of Discovery. It's a mid-season premiere, Despite Yourself. Um, a very aptly titled episode. Yeah, because I can say, like, I liked a lot. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start at the top. I liked a lot of this episode. Um, a great deal, in fact. And, and again, uh, I'm we're on record as being skeptical of several decisions they've made at a structural level. So anytime they can actually, you know, get the ball to the fairway, I'm duly impressed. Uh, so, you know, might as well start with the biggest piece, the mere, the use of the mere universe. Um, Shockingly well done. Seriously. Um, it, it's pro- it might like it, it might be a thematically more, it, it, it's it, depending on how they resolve it. Um, Plot-wise, it might be the best use of the Mirror Universe because the, the first time around in um, TOS, it, it wasn't if it wasn't quite played for laughs, it was played largely for shock value. It was just a, it was like a fun mental exercise to invert all these characters. Um, the Deep well, Space- I, I I'll just say about um, Mirror Mirror, uh, it did end on a rather strong sci-fi note. You know the the idea of what kind of impact individuals can have on history and that, you know, Spock should consider the overall path of empires and, you know, make a utilitarian judgment as to whether he should try to change the course of that universe's history. Uh, You know, I mean, I guess that course change didn't go particularly well. You know I hadn't thought of it to this point, but I guess this does raise continuity issues because there's already a rebellion, uh, which involves Vulcans and Dorians and Klingons. Uh, but let's get back to that. Um, so, but, uh, but so moving on deep space nine, I don't think ever really used the mirror universe terribly well. Um, there were episodes that were more enjoyable than others, but nothing, earth-shattering uh this episode actually manages to use the mirror universe uh to try to bolster its star trek bona fides like burnham's speech that this is a racist xenophobic uh fascist fascistic fascist uh, fascist uh fascist organization visibly horrifies the crew um and that is like a like they find this version of the Federation shocking by implication. They are not this version of the Federation. And so, uh, and like, even on a, a like fine grained character level, um, Burnham is put in a position to kill the doppelganger of a person whose death she feels not incorrectly, depending, you know, directly responsible for. Um, and I think so, so. Like both at the on the macro and micro level, they are using the mirror universe to tell the story rather than just go, "Ooh, look, they're all evil," um, yeah. which is good. Like I particularly like the fight with um, with Connor and the turbo lift um, because you know Burnham has to be capable of incapacitating him and not killing him. She has it in her skill set to wound, uh, disable, but not kill him. But she knows that if she goes for the non-fatal uh, attack, that will draw attention to her. That would be a that would be a uh, noteworthy response in this universe. So she really doesn't have a choice. She's going to keep up the ruse. So like it, the episode, if you'll pardon the metaphor, really twists the knife with her a little. Where it's like, not only does she 
end up killing this person who she who you know who looks like her friend and she feels responsible for his death she's kind of placed in a position where she has to do so volitionally not even like literally desperately with no other option she picked the path that would keep her in that captain's chair and that's a fun idea like i'm like if nothing else this episode seems to be setting up the idea that maintaining the fiction of being a bad person must have some psychological consequence and that is interesting so yeah I, i'm here absolutely. for that um actually th this story is doing what the first half of the season failed to do uh in as much as the first half seemed to say that it was going to be about the war and what effect the war was having on federation ideals right except they never really set up or demonstrated Federation ideals. They're only trading on <sighs> shit. I mean, a portrayal that's now 20 years old. Um, you know, like there, there hasn't been a legitimate demonstration of Federation ideals on screen for decades now. Uh, and then they didn't really test them all that much. You know, it, it like, there was bad stuff they did, but you never got the impression that it was really bothering anybody. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of lip service paid to it. Whereas in this episode, just one episode, much more feels like it's impacting the characters emotionally and that they're having responses to it. Uh, this, this episode, because of the mirror setting, oddly, you know, felt more real than any of the other episodes have to this point yeah my my only other sort of my only other major qualm with doing the mirror universe you know nine episodes in is that you haven't laid the groundwork like the mirror universe and tos happened in the middle of second season deep space nine i think it was at least season two or three like you actually have to give the characters time to bake before making their inversions feel like anything particularly when you're trying to run the more more morally ambiguous characters like like I've read a lot of internet theories that this is that are the Lorca we've seen as mere Lorca. I think I, I don't. I care. think they were dropping hints of that actually. I, I get that, but honestly, I think the more interesting story resolution is we meet Mira Lorca and they're exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, that he's like a really nice guy without PTSD. Right. And, you know. um, but in any event, like I, my concern for the mere universe is meeting everyone's copy. Just it's happening too soon. That said. Whatever my issues with Tilly's portrayal aside, and those have largely been cured, I think they, they've managed to tone her down just enough to keep her in the sweet spot of quirky, but enjoyably so, as opposed to like, if you open your mouth again, I'm going to scream. Um, so she is, prop she is sir, I think, one of the most sketched out characters, because uh, it may be, maybe that's because her character traits are kind of you know, the most out there, um, but kind of making her like turning her from like the, like, like this universe's version of the Wesley Crusher go-getter is like a murderous ladder climber as opposed to like an ex excellent cadet. I, I, I'm, I'm on board for that. And I will say the sequence, both the one on the bridge where she's trying to fake her way through the conversation and the like prep work in the next scene was actually straight up charming like i literally i literally not even like the figurative literally but the literal literally laughed out loud when saru goes and and lastly 
Captain Killy. Well, that's not very clever. That yeah. <laughs> really made me ch- like that. That got a real laugh out of me. That was delightful. And you know what? It's perfect because it is. It is like a terrible pun, and I uh, it was perfect. Um, so on some level, I am curious to see how Burnham handles having to pretend to be this other person, um, particularly for a character who has been successfully portrayed as not super in touch with their emotions. This will, this will be interesting. I think it will produce credible drama. Uh, and uh, kind of a, a hip check into the production note, I did thoroughly enjoy the sequence of them, like, getting into costume. Um, it, I, I adored the fact that they repainted the, the hull of the ship. Oh, from the U to the I? Yeah, and they didn't just wipe off, like, part of the U. They, like, repainted the I where it would be for curring purposes, and that warmed the cockles of my heart. Um, I like the sequence of everyone getting into uniform and trading the pins, and a conversation I had after the episode aired with a friend of mine who really, really, really likes Discovery, so I kind of used the two of you as, like, poles to, like, check my own reactions, uh, was thrilled that... Um, both the main female characters got counterpart roles in this universe, none of which bared their midriffs. Um, I, I appreciate that that comment. Like they got like the glammed up, ridiculous um, mere uniforms, but they were still like pants, um, which I, I I can get getting fatigued at you know ostensibly women and even an evil professional organization, but still a professional one you know, having to dress like go-go dancers at the office. I appreciate that criticism. So I, I, I do actually, I do appreciate, um, uh, all respect to Nichelle Nichols abs aside, uh, that the women get to, you know, still dress like, you know, people and not just objects. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just, it, it's not appropriate to this moment in our, uh, national life in popular entertainment. Right. Um, you know the the sort of go-go boot miniskirt bare midriff thing was acceptable in the 60s and it was played for humor in the 90s but it just really wouldn't be funny anymore yeah so i i appreciated that and i gotta say i did like that like half cape like shoulder thing i'm like I almost like, no, it was like armor. I'm going to say actually, it. I think I might like the mirror universe uniforms more than the prime universe ones so far. I, like, I feel the same way. Actually, I've I've started to. <laughs> there were some shots in this episode where I was like, "Oh, that uniform's not that bad." I guess it. Really, the only lingering irritation I have is that this is existing concurrently with Constitution class ships, you know, with like Captain Pike, yeah, and Spock because that's stupid it's a stupid decision it does, didn't have to be that way and it's just raising more questions than it is providing good storylines um, speaking of questions this isn't a fault so much with the episode and maybe the writers are going to go there I doubt it given the pacing that we've had so far uh, but I think there are good science fiction questions that would be really nice to answer uh, about the mirror universe uh, that were not really touched on here, you know, like for for instance, number one, how this professional organization could persist at all. Like they mentioned in this episode that the emperor somehow chose captains, uh, like the 
was it that Tilly was chosen directly by no it was Connor who was to chosen to replace Burnham um, I, I'm, like, I'm willing wait, to give that... is that how they've done things so far? Uh, yeah, I'm willing to give that a wide berth. Um, uh, I, I, I just finished, uh, reading, uh, uh, Tacitus's histories, so I have a, I'm, I'm all in a Roman history kick right now. I don't have a problem imagining a successful, um, expansive, uh, empire with questionable morals and, uh, a, a direct imperial hand in uh, field decisions. I think that has. It's just not consistent with what we've seen before. Yeah, is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, uh, so my favorite fan theory is that the so the the two theories I've read is that the the fact that they said faceless emperor. I mean, like like they loaded both barrels of Chekhov's gun, didn't they? Um, but like it, it either it's either going to be Cornwell or Giorgio, and if only to see Michelle Yeoh just expertly chew the scenery just just uh, i'm picturing all the possible throne rooms and they each is more delightful than the next um uh just i think that would be i mean it it could go stupid real easy but i think if burnham had to confront the inverted version of her mentor i think we could squeeze some good drama out of that from two very talented actresses i think that would be fun i think that's certainly possible um no, what I was thinking about was sort of a broader question about the, the the internal logic of the mirror universe. And so this criticism is not leveled entirely at this episode because it's been a problem since the mirror universe has been a thing. But how could a species that is so inherently uh, violent and nasty to itself have ever achieved the sort of technological uh, prowess, socioeconomic stability. That, I mean, we are say what you want about humanity, and there are many people I'm sure who would say this is the worst year that's ever been. And it, But it's actually not true in terms of most uh, economic measures and most uh, human flourishing measures. Uh, we are an exceptionally mild primate species that has a basic sort of emotional tone and affect which involves cooperation and conflict minimization uh, and that's been necessary for us to persist and to uh, advance you know for whatever problems that might cause but to advance as a species you know and so I'm just tr- it's like who has kids in this society how do families form how do educations occur you know i mean like do kids kill each other in rivalries over things do they it like i'm not saying you couldn't somehow tell a story plausibly about a race in which this is the norm but they're so hyper violent and hyper aggressive that i I just have a really hard time believing that they could have solved the problem of interstellar travel. Well, you're you're presuming they were always this way. Uh, Using Rome as the example, it transitioned from uh, republic to empire. In fact, its success as a republic 
kind of set the field for to collapse into empire because once they managed to once once their internal cooperation caused them to succeed in the punic wars the lack of a credible external threat caused the infighting that destroyed the republic that created the empire so it like oh well sure and so Absolutely, that's a plausible version of the story. I'm just saying we haven't gotten it. Yeah, and, you know? and that that being said, uh, for me, that might be one of those times where any explanation you come up with is gonna feel somewhat clunky or potential. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm almost happier with it out being explained because the real problem for the mere universe is like I suppose if there are in fact infinite alternate universes, then yes, there must be a universe in which I exist in every single measurable and immeasurable way identically, except I'm evil. Like, sure, I guess with enough copies of universes and enough dice rolls you could create that. But it kind of strains credulity. Like the real pro like like if nothing else, the, the real problem of a mere universe is it posits that the same people at the same time to produce the same children for every generation to negative infinity still happened. And yeah. Like, that's just one of those... Uh, so, like, my concern is that any attempt, much like the... It's a Klingon headridge for me. I don't need an explanation because any explanation is going to feel a little deficient. Well, so, but this is what I'm saying, though. It's like ev everyone has to have had basically the same life except somehow they're hyper-violent. How, you know, like how? Uh, well, that's I what I'm saying. Know. I don't. I don't think there is a satisfying answer to that question. So we're just left with like the fun thought experiment of what if there's a universe where we're all evil, which is what the mere universe started as. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, anyway, uh, in summary, for me, the reason that this episode worked probably better than basically any episode so far is that it was essentially focused um you know like the problem of being in the mirror universe occupied almost all of the characters almost the entire time yeah i was, I was thinking know? about that kind of like the the mud episode where it's like most of the episode was spent on this story it still yeah. served and we will get to this but yes. it still served <laughs> the overarching plot lines and this this is how i think th this is this is a good counter to what we were talking about this is good serialization i could watch just this episode by itself even without a ton of knowledge of the overarching plot arcs and context clues would give me enough to like you know okay i get it's like i never really watched the x-files but if i turned on an, an, a random episode of the x-files i'd be like okay well lighting cues and music cues tell me cigarette smoking man is bad Okay, I can do. I can handle that. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I can adapt. Um, so, this episode stands as a discrete unit of entertainment, while serving in ways that make me unhappy, uh, the broader story, which is good. I think that's what Deep Space Nine was good at. Like it could do a here. Here's, here's a Klingon day in the Dominion War arc. So yes, it was all about Worf and Martok and Galron and whatever, but it still it fit into the broader story, but it still focused the story enough to keep you watching for 45 minutes cleanly. Random aside, now that I... Because uh, there's no good place to talk about this because this isn't really about the episode, but did, did you have ridiculous lag problems this week? Uh, no, actually, um, this was the best I have experienced... The video was a little um, muddy, 
you know, yeah. like it just like there was, you know, it wasn't buffering well or something, but it didn't lag. And at least so I got an Amazon Fire TV, which is different than the Amazon Fire Stick. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has a more powerful processor, I guess. Um, but also the subtitles were also not filling uh, a third of the screen anymore. Yeah, mine are still tiny. Which is fine because I can uh, when I, I I have glasses I can read them. It's I'd much rather tiny subtitles than than gargantuan ones. But um, but yeah, uh, sorry that it just drove me nuts. I had to like stop and restart it like three times. No, we didn't have to do that. Uh, okay, well get your shit together, CBS. This I had the same problem with Hulu and Amazon Prime's streaming services. Even, even down to like how you scrub through a video, Netflix is just better. Yeah. Like, Netflix innately lets me see a preview of what I'll be scrubbing to before I get there. And both Hulu and Amazon give me trouble about that, where I have to, like, fast forward and hope. It's like, I understand you need to make your own thing, but you don't need to make a worse thing. Moving on, moving on. This well, is and they have fucking commercials. Yeah. You know? It's like, you're making me pay twice to watch this, and you haven't gotten your shit together. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty infuriating yeah. yeah especially especially when i realize everyone else gets to watch this on netflix just cut the deal with netflix you can like your logo is like a little like uh png file that can be inserted on top of anything digital just make a deal with netflix to show it and they'll put your imprint on everything sorry moving it's a fight it's a fight it's a fight for a different day it's one that should have been had a year ago. It just drives me nuts. Um, okay, so the Mirror Universe was largely successful. Also, like, even, I'll say, the the closest I got to kind of rolling my eyes was when it was clear it was also going to attach to the Defiant. My concern, I just kind of was like, oh, we're, we're going to that well again. And it's one of those times where it's like, even if you do it well, you're still going to leave me going, oh, well, we've, we've kind of done this before. And then your only other option is to do it badly, which, again, makes me question why you did it at all. But I will be I, – I have just enough charity left in my soul to, to like, give them the benefit of the doubt. Partic again, I, I do sit here, and I have been holding on to my rage about certain other elements of this episode that we haven't talked about yet. But, like, even in light of that well-justified rage, I remain – impressed and almost a little humbled that they managed to set up the mere universe arc so well i think on spec for both of us when if you had, if they had just come clean two months ago and said oh yeah we are totally going to the mere universe we would have both been like oh so i am i, I wasn't wrong because i didn't really form an opinion but apparently i was a little harsh in my prejudging so far it could all go to shit but the, I'm, I am actually impressed. Uh, I am impressed with the level of execution that the Mirror Universe stuff was given. And I am interested in seeing where the Mirror Universe part of the story goes. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't have any trust that they will afford... The interesting parts of the story, the time that they will need to to truly execute them. This is a great setup, but it, there are so many ways it can be botched in execution that uh, my, the jury is still out for me. I'm not like just like on board, okay? Um, and part of that is informed by the other uh, sort of glaring deficiencies <laughs> uh, that have 
been given to us in terms of the treatment of characters. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, I have noticed that certain characters have been developed, given screen time, and then unceremoniously, you know, just shit canned uh, from the show. Uh, whether they're actually killed, as in the security officer, or they're apparently killed, uh, as in Admiral Cornwell, or they're actually killed and there's a sci-fi story coming, like Dr. Culber. Um, it's just, it just, it seems like they think they're being edgy and amazing or something, and all they're doing is irritating me and wasting my time. You know, it's not edgy to spend time on the screen developing character X solely to kill character X. You know, that does that doesn't do anything for me. All it does is take away from the other characters and make me wonder what the fuck I just spent my time on. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, um, and this is the conversation I got to with my friend where she was much more willing to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt about what they will do with the story, that they will resolve it. For me, it's like, given that like the After Trek show and published interviews that, that were published moments after the episode ended to say, oh, no, no, he's not done. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. You just told me you didn't do what you just showed me you did? Then why did you show that to me? You're in charge of what I see. Like I, I have. I was thinking about this, and I came up with this analogy. So go with me for a second. Um, to Hamlet, we're all familiar with the story of Hamlet. There is no new information plot-wise after like Act One, Scene Three of Hamlet. Once Hamlet's father confirms to Hamlet that he was murdered by Claudius, all of the plot data has been dispensed. All of the drama of Hamlet flows from what every character does with the information when and how and if they find it out. Every, so everyone behaves as, they, like, you know, Polonius is a pompous ass, Hamlet's a moody teenager. Um, every character behaves as their character dictates say they will in, the, in light of this new piece of information. There is no act for twist, and you can't see me making air quotes right now, twist where it turns out Hamlet's really Claudius's son. Hamlet's father's really alive. Denmark's really on the moon. Like, there is no... I, I find this, like... I, I get frustrated with this idea of, of like... It, it comes down to, like, a couple of things where it's, like... If, if there's, like, some deep plot twist that I had no opportunity to know but is urgently relevant to resolve this story, I think it just makes you a crappy storyteller that you hid it that long. Like... It, it, it's it's part of spoiler culture for me where I, I actually don't mind spoilers over much. I mean, if I tell someone I'm going home tonight to watch this episode and you blew the ending for me, I would be mildly peeved. But I'm certainly not one of those people who thinks you're not allowed to discuss the cultural relevance of the word Rosebud unless you confirm with me in writing that I've already seen Citizen Kane. Like, spo spoilers, like, like, if all you have is the surprise or the gasp, it's actually not a good story. Yeah. So for, for me, so like, so if we've really killed Culver, Culver, um, sorry, I'm from the Midwest. There's the restaurant. It's not Culver's, yeah. <laughs> like Butterburgers. It's right. Culver. Yeah. Um, so if we've actually killed this poor man, one, you've, like, you, 
like it's like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because they want the gasp moment of oh my god they killed a main character well just like game of thrones but then apparently they immediately walked it back and said no that's not what we're doing and the problem is and this time i will stick to my guns and i know i've got we've had to say oh hey they actually managed to like with the up until this episode but like with the Vok thing last season where it's like oh they managed to apparently have thread a way to make him a sleeper agent without nullifying his personhood. Great job, guys. Even if they managed to bring Culver... Culber... God, I'm going to... Bad, Kevin. Culber back. It's going to do one of two things. It's going to cheapen death as a thing. Or it's going to be some facsimile that we're asked to round up, like when we got Duplicate Harry. And you know what? I didn't want him to pick up Duplicate Harry either. The one, the one time they have undone death in Star Trek successfully for me was Spock. And that's because the, uh, the underrated, in our opinion, Star Trek Three depicted Kirk sacrificing his ship and his son for the effort. So you managed to still mine like this Orpheus and Eurydice level story of saving someone from death. Great job, guys. I just don't feel like, like even if they managed to thread the needle that returns this man to the story, both sort of physically and metaphysically intact, then I'm just going to ask why. It's like like a lot of the criticism, especially in like the first moments, uh, was uh, uh, referring to a trope called bury your gaze. It is a trope from the 90s in which uh, usually the... Uh, and it happens, it happens with a lot of minorities and in this case in the 90s, like every time there was a gay character, they would die some tragic death to spur the story. Um, and you know, you j like four episodes ago, you were rightfully getting patted on the back for the scene of them in their space jammies brushing their teeth together. So it's like, you, you again, you can't have everything. Like, you either want to tell a story about these people or they're just cannon fodder. And I'll tell you this I enjoy Game of Thrones. I read the books 10 years before the show was even in twinkling in HBO's eye. I, except for book five and four and five, they're not great. Um, but like, I understood the shock and, you know, spoiler alert for a show that's been on for 10 years now, Ned dies in the first season. Ooh, spoiler. Um, and the shock value of that was, oh, they, they irrevocably killed a protagonist. That was a signal for the kind of story they were telling. But Star Trek is not Game of Thrones. I do not watch Star Trek to be shocked by the gratuitousness of human violence. Like, it just... Yeah, that's not the point. Yeah, like... like <laughs> There's no one who was watching Star Trek who enjoyed Star Trek for 50 fucking years, who was like, you know what would be better in this series is if they just killed Spock in season two, you know? Well, and like, here, for good, like, just what, to really blow our minds. Like, and, okay, so and with the story we've been given, what was this supposed to do for the story? It was supposed to demonstrate that, yes, beyond question, he is some kind of sleeper agent with no agency anymore. And it's supposed to demonstrate how severe down this path, down it's getting. There were a hundred ways to do that without killing Culber. Also, like, no one else was in this sick bay. There's not, like, a clerk on duty. Like, it's just, it, it, and I know where you're going to go with this, like, as the ancillary. Like, him going to the brig and talking to Lorel and turning off the force field. Like, just a, a lot of dum-dum had to happen to get the care. Like, what they wanted to do was reveal that Tyler Vock is at some breaking point in his brainwash cycle and then send him on the highly dangerous mission um, in which he is the only uh, support system for Burnham. And, and is having sex yeah, with her. In a vacuum, that is a fine decision. 
Like, if you really wanted to uh, raise the stakes of Burnham's mission, you make her find out that her, or make us find out before her that her colleague is not fit for duty. Okay, okay, I'm there. I'm there. The way they did it makes no sense because either they've really killed this guy, in which case, why did you make me care about him? Like, I. And then if you're not really going to kill this guy, it's like even it's almost worse in a way. It's like you just you wanted the you wanted both the gasp moment, but then not to be held responsible for killing a character that people liked. Because as speaking as one of the gays, I'm like, I liked that there was a real couple on the ship that even like like I'd be happy if they showed like a one off like same like, you know, like I was happy when they showed Jadzia and uh, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on the other symbionts name. Nalani, no. The others, like, rejoined when she has the, like, I was ha- I was thrilled Star Trek was depicting as normal a same-sex couple. That was fine. I was particularly happy with Discovery showing one as an ongoing couple, because that is something different and something more interesting. And, like, I even liked the cheesy La Boheme reference. Like, it's just like, like, I, when that happened, I literally got angry like not even just sad like like when a character dies that i like and it's organic and it makes sense in the story i'm sad because that that's empathy i'm feeling the things but i was just i was so angry i almost stopped watching it was gratuitous and pointless uh i i understand the point about how it makes the drama somehow more intense with tyler and burnham but my problem with it is that it's not really the story they've been telling so far with them. It's like, it's like they took a meet cute, you know, sort of rom-com thing and have grafted, you know, some sort of body snatcher horror story onto it. And it's just, (sighs) I liked Tyler, you know, they spent time making me like him. And now they do this, and it just makes me think he's like a mindless automaton, and he doesn't seem... Now, granted, they have time. Maybe they can do this in future episodes, but he doesn't seem guilty or vexed at all by having snapped the dude's neck in cold blood after going to him for help. Uh, it Like... Maybe they'll get there. I mean, the the, the way I expressed this to my friend was it wasn't his hands on Culver's neck. It was the writers. Yeah, (laughs) I can agree with that. Like, yeah, it's like the plot said it had to happen for some reason. Right. And like and also, uh, I don't know if you caught this dialogue, but they he was saying like, like running the deeper scan that he apparently didn't think to run until now. Um, that his bones were broken and re- like resized, so I assume that that they are tipping their hand that the the physical being, yeah, it's actually Vok who has been surgically physical. altered to look like a human, not a a real human with like a personality graft or something. The, the dialogue was so muddled and quick that I I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to take from it, really. Uh, but yeah, I did catch that. Because, of course, I'm very keyed into what is the science fiction explanation for what the fuck they're doing with Tyler and Vok. And because they've made me care about Tyler, I certainly don't give a shit about Vok. They've made me care about Tyler because they've shown him doing human things, you know, with Burnham, having relationships, you know, like being 
vulnerable and and interesting and all that stuff because they've made me care i want there to be a good explanation that preserves or at least offers a, a meaningful ending for the character that i cared about but i i have no trust whatsoever that that will happen um and the the unceremonious you know killing of culber feeds into that emotion for me uh I mean, I could, I, but for the gratuitous death, I could probably get past it because, on some level, until Culber, you could you you could say that, and I think I think it was Io9's review that points this out. The two people with the most reason to suspect anything uh, are the two uh, Lorca and Burnham are two people who, for very different reasons, have some vested interest in uh, allowing or ignoring whatever signs there are so like even you could even let it slide without making everyone stupid because you've given them an in-plot reason to draw conclude like Lorca want Lorca at best wants um you know someone fiercely loyal um at worst he thinks he can game this Burnham has formed an emotional attachment that would obviously cloud her judgment so like you could let those go if they were like like overlooking <coughs> Burnham's or Tyler's clear PTSD attack in the worker bee like both Lorca and Burnham while understanding what might be really going on have different but internally comprehensible reasons for doing that overlooking I can let that go, even if it's even if it's being portrayed in what I would agree is a somewhat slipshod fashion. Inside the story, I can make it make sense. Once we get to cult, yeah, it just it, like if all they needed to do was raise the stakes. Honestly, they the, the scene with Laurel pretty much, you know, confirmed that he's that like he's a sleeper agent and not just her pet, not just a human to whom she has a sick attachment. Like there was a way to play that scene in the brig um that would give us the same narrative moment. So it just the the decision is inexplicable and that the fact that they felt they they had like they had to have some of these interviews and stuff ready to go because they knew people would be pissed. And it's like it, it, so it's just it, you can't do both. You like you, you, you killed a character for no valid reason, or at least not one that justifies not picking one of the other options. But then want us to know that you're walking it back. And sure, maybe in six episodes I'll have egg on my face, and they manage to give some arc to Stamets getting Culber back that feels interesting and authentic and worth the trip. But even then we're still stuck with you killed a character and undid it because you didn't like it and that necessarily kind of cheapens death in this narrative and it's just uh i don't know it's um and also like i said i just i don't like twists i don't like shocks i mean or at least not in this context i i like them in other things and sure there have been times when jump scares are very effective but for this like and we've had this conversation before. In many ways, the plot is not why I watch Star Trek. Like, I, I enjoy the plots. I'm intrigued by them. I like thinking about them. But the, the, the meat for me is watching these characters interact. And you just deleted one of them. And that's not fun. Well, yeah. You know, I... So, we have had this conversation before. I, I am more uh, <coughs> impressed by the high concept story. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it can just have disposable characters. It can't, you know, I'm absolutely with you in terms of 
Star Trek is not hard science fiction. It ha- it isn't. It's rarely ever been, you know. And even the hardest sci-fi stories only have hard sci-fi elements. And the the real thing that it's about is showing characters in this world and what kind of people they are. And so the gratuitous killing of one of them for, you know, shock or stakes raising or something, it's just it's inconsistent with what the show is for me. Yeah, and uh, I, I, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you <coughs> off. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, I I've randomly was just rewatching some some next gen. Um, oh, by the way, Marina Sirtis t- uh, liked a tweet of mine today. It was a good day. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I was watching uh, season four, and of course, I watched Reunion. And thinking back, our response to that, in a narrative sense they largely justify their decision because it provides the propulsive conclusion to the Klingon political arc. It turns Worf overnight into a single father. Um, however well they did those stories later is a different question. Um, but like in an internal story sense, Kalar's death wasn't cheap. They managed to st- squeeze good narrative out of it. But ever since that day, I know you and I have both been pretty pissed at that decision. <laughs> like, it's just not something Star Trek does that. I'm thinking back of everyone who's died in Star Trek. Um, Spock, though there was like some question at the time whether they were just done with Star Trek, so a little different. Um, Yar, because the actress left. Jedzia, because the actress left. Um, but yeah, I'm hard-pressed to think of an example of a character, a recurring character being killed. And I'm sure I'll come up with one at like 3 a.m. tonight, but it's just, it's not something Star Trek does, and that's not a bad thing. Like, it's just, um, like, there's a reason they, that, uh, you know, these things develop trope names like, uh, you know, girlfriend in the refrigerator and barrier gaze. It's because it's a little boring to watch characters, partic- usually when they're, you know, women, minority, you know, people of color, LGBTQ people, where it's like to propel the story. It's like, it's, it's, it's just not interesting. It's like, lazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, yeah, there's just a, like, and again, uh, maybe they'll find a way out, but I'm like, even if you find a way out, it's like saying I drove the car off the cliff, we survived and I got us back to the road, but it's like, I would still rather you not drive off the cliff. Like your, 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 your cliff solving pro- abilities impress me less than your ability to stay on the road (laughs) yeah no they're just they're creating problems for themselves maybe we'll be wrong maybe this returning culber from death story will be such an epic you know affirmation of how you know homosexuals love each other just as much as heterosexuals and you know i don't know but why (laughs) what the fuck was the point why it yeah Stop trying to be something that's not Star Trek. Just be Star Trek. I mean, you it don't honest, have to be... yeah, even Game of Thrones at some point kind of wears you down. Like, like I, I, I'm, I mean, it's good and I like it, and I'm going to watch it till the end. But at some point, you know, it, it's like, I mean, yeah, Game of Thrones novelty was telling you don't get attached to any of these people. The novelty is now worn off. <laughs> well, but even that. It's like, you know, they're not going to kill John. They're not going to kill Daenerys. They're not going to kill him, at least not until the very end of the story. 
Yeah. You know, because they are the stars of the show. And yes, maybe John developed into a star of the show uh, later than Daenerys did or something, you know, but <sighs> the Game of Thrones, you know, death thing isn't as cool as people think it is, <laughs> you know, like there, there are better ways to tell stories than artificially raising stakes by killing characters. There just are. All right. Anyway, um, as far as, yeah, the dum-dum factor was huge. There are no guards in the brig. Yeah. Where you're, you're holding the prisoner of your mortal enemy. There are no censors on the door. There's no pass. There no- There's no password on the lock. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I might, I might believe that, you know, Tyler has those passwords, but they didn't show that to us. You know, it's like they didn't explain how this isn't stupid, and so I just have to take it at face value that it's stupid. Um. You know, why was he on the damn mission? Why was he in the the worker bee? You know, why did Lorca say, okay, you know, we're going on this. The mission itself of, of them leaving the ship to get the thing for the thing was inordinately complicated, you know, and kind of foolhardy. You know, it's like we need these files to do this thing. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, but you're going on such a risky mission and this guy has flipped his shit in front of you several times now, you know, including, you know, having just killed someone in sickbay where there's nobody else working, apparently, you know, nobody. I, I just so many stupid things had to happen to get Tyler into Burnham's bed by the end of the episode. You know? They they didn't need to kill Culber to have us worry about Burnham and Tyler together. You know? You're you're absolutely right, Kevin. They raised the stakes enough by showing us that he's truly a Klingon. You know? Okay. That's enough. You know? It you don't have to also show us that he's prone to random acts of violence. You know, he didn't even have to kill Culber. He could have just like hurt him or something. He could have punched him in the face. You know, I don't know. (sighs) So the episode was really enjoyable for like two thirds of the runtime and inordinately frustrating for the other third. Right. Um, I, I guess that's all I have to say about the writing aspect of the show. Uh, Shazad Latif was excellent, truly excellent in his portrayal of Tyler. Yeah, there's a vault like it, it's it's there's a vulnerability to him that that like I would put up there like like I talk, we talked about this when we did the uh, uh, review for Dark Frontier, um, where like seven of uh, Jerry Ryan's physical acting when she gets scared, like she gets smaller. It's, like, really something to watch. And he has that, like, there. it's almost like looking at, like, a wounded deer. Like, there's just something about his physicality that reads so completely as just, like, nakedly vulnerable that it's... Well, it, 
Yeah. I'm going to use a word here that's not intended to be pejorative, but he has kind of this blubbering face. It, it's like because of his neck beard and his cheek structure, when he when he's kind of like blubbering a little bit, like you know, half sobbing, it it, it really looks realistic. Um, so yeah, and he's willing to go there as an actor. You know, he's willing to to not look sexy at all times. You know. Yeah, yeah, he can ugly cry. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it, it's very impressive as, as acting goes, which is sad, given how stupid the storyline has to be, right? Um, because he could be easily at the helm of a much much better written story that tells the story of this conflict and this struggle and this this trauma uh way better than it is um so he was really good i really liked the character vignettes uh with like burnham and tilly i thought those were excellent um I can't say I was a huge fan of the way they made Tilly look, uh, but yeah. that, that's more of a production note. She she looked ridiculous on the surface instead of imposing. Yeah, they shouldn't have made her a blonde, and that's yeah, not that, a, that's not a ding on blondes. Some some very powerful blonde women have have done some very wonderful things. I think they just should have kept her a redhead, or yeah, like or a brunette. Like, and that's that's just like a. Blonde, like her, she's so pale that blonde hair makes her entire head. I'm not trying to overly criticize a woman's looks here, but just from a purely, you know, photo quality, her skin is close enough to the color of blonde that it becomes undifferentiated, and it's just kind of a soup on screen. It's hard to be imposing when your entire head and neck look like a blob. It's just a- well, it's just such a large wig, too. <laughs> it just looks silly um it's like captain silly not captain killy uh that's clever uh i'm gonna say yeah if she wanted to do like a big drag queen blowout that would have been fine it just the the platinum blonde was just kind of like and maybe that's the it's like one of the one it was like fake hair it was like obviously fake hair so it's like is she putting on fake hair in order to intimidate people or right, something like it, it was the one of the things that felt the most like oh well this has to be opposite so she's a blonde here it's like she can she can still be a redhead i've also known some evil redheads like i just you know you can oh yeah <laughs> if we let's not go down that rabbit hole but yes <laughs> redheads can be perfectly imposing and frightening uh you know as women go you know there's it, there's no need to make it blonde um yeah um, acting wise, how was Lorca for you? Um, uh, pretty low key. Like, I don't think he, um, he didn't get a ton to do. I didn't quite get the method by which he was intimidating Culber in the top of the episode. Like, I almost need to go back and rewatch that scene because I'm not exactly sure what I was watching. Um, see, I really enjoyed the scene, which is another reason why I dislike them killing Culbert. It's like, wow, they finally gave him a really interesting conversation here, and now he's dead. Sorry, guys. This conflict, which was on screen for several minutes, now will not be followed up. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, where I feel like the writers are wasting my time. Um, 
I thought he had a really low key comedy delivery when he called her Captain Killy. Uh, that really worked for me. Um, the, I mean, the way that he's playing the character, uh, Jason Isaacs, he's doing this thing where it seems like there's a, a hidden story. And yeah, if, if I don't know if it's I don't know if it's him where the, that's the genesis of that or it's the writing and the directing that has told him that he has to shade it that way. Um, I, I almost feel that it's him because I don't trust that the writers actually have the story, you know, like figured out for him yet. It's like he's got a secret. Maybe he's from the mirror universe. Maybe he's a psychopath. Maybe he's really, you know, a, a secret agent for good, and he's doing this thing that seems bad. You know, who the hell knows? Because, you know, we haven't really figured it out yet. We'll just drop as many breadcrumbs as we can so that eventually, and this is straight out of the Lost playbook, uh, straight out of the J.J. Abrams playbook, you know, we'll just suggest so many things that sooner or later one of them will stick, and then we'll just hope that you ignore the other 25 breadcrumbs that weren't followed up um anyway i found it i mean he he plays enigmatic well uh you know he certainly suggests that there is something deeper going on and he's capable of doing it and so again kind of like uh with shazad latif i feel like he's being wasted you know he's being wasted on stupidity uh because He's a really good actor, um, and he's capable of carrying something much more complicated with an actual narrative thrust to it instead of just breadcrumbs here and there. Uh, you know, Dr. Culber, uh, who's the actor again? It's Wilson, uh, Cruz. Wilson Cruz. Dude has been fucking pumping iron. Jeez. Did you see him in this episode? Like, his arms were like the size of my legs. <laughs> I did not notice, because he's normally wearing a white uniform in a white room, so I really didn't catch a... I'll have to go back and watch it and see, check out his guns. Something about the way the uniform was cut in this episode, it, it was just like, you know, dude, tone down the... You know, it's like, don't go to GNC for a couple of weeks, you know? Just like stop slamming the protein shakes or something uh i mean congratulations wilson cruz i mean it's like clearly you've been working out and it shows right but <laughs> damn um i i liked his performance yeah he was credible uh as being concerned about <sighs> speaking of dum-dums i mean this is going back to story uh but you know it I don't want Dr. Culber to be stupid here, but why didn't he have some security in the room when he had a literal Klingon, you know, like body morphing agent who is also clearly, clearly extremely agitated the first time he came in, right? I mean, did, did that not stick out to you? It's like, if this guy were like sweating in my face and being all paranoid and psychotic, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe we should ground you now. Not after I discover the Klingon shit. It's like, you're clearly fucked up now. Yeah. 
And so that's not an acting problem because, you know, Shazad Latif was doing what he was supposed to do. It's a writing problem. I mean, Culber's just like, maybe he was preoccupied or something. I, I don't know. But it's like, <sighs> Tyler was seriously fucked up when he came in to ask for help. Yeah. You know? And it was obvious. And it should be obvious to any intelligent character. You know? So it, that irritated me. <sighs> um, so acting was pretty good. I liked the guy who played uh, the Connor character. Yeah, oh, I'm so sad. He's so cute and he died again. <laughs> yeah. And he looked adorable in that little gold uniform. I'm like, oh, you're so, like, you're so cute with your little uh, gold armor plate. Uh, you think he's gay? I'm well. I, I don't think I can render an unbiased opinion. I think I, I think <laughs> I am. I think observer bias is coloring the data. Yeah, you want him to be gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, I, I was detecting a little bit of gay. Uh, well, I from, mean, it, I think it's hard to look. Like as much as I love that uniform, I think it, I, I think the uniform's a little gay, and I say that in the best possible way. It's one of the reasons <laughs> I love it. I, I'm just saying, like, not a lot of straight men of my acquaintance in the cultural uh, fashion period in which I live choose uh, asymmetrical gold armor shoulder capelet as part of their outfits. Just, uh, yeah. just saying. Like, I'll say this: it looks fantastic on on Killy and Burnham. Like, it, it's it's like flattering and sexy, but in a way that's not like cheap. It's like you nailed it. Well, and it actually had a thematic role to play, you know, because uh, Burnham sort of removes her armor when she's ready to be vulnerable. Yeah, you know, when she's sort of, you know dropping the character also they did right? a really good job of making that piece like it looked like it had buckles and strap like it looked like a, a phys- it, it wasn't just like they made it look that way on the outside but the inside is paper mache it looks like a real substantial object like she looks like she it took a second to like literally get out of it like i i, I was impressed by the the build quality yeah yeah well speaking of uh, production quality uh so the uniforms were excellent uh, probably, I mean, look, uh, you know, we love Mirror Mirror for nostalgia reasons, uh, but this was probably the best looking the Mirror Universe has ever been. Um, you know, the visual effects were typically excellent. Uh, we can stipulate to that. Yeah. Um, the So, Jonathan Frakes was the director. Uh, I felt like the um, Turbolift scene was truly excellent as fight scenes go yeah Uh, yeah it was very very involving but also comprehensible it wasn't like shaky cam bullshit Uh, i I, I gotta say like the art like the the flow of it like even when like they even on tng they went for the you know turbo lift run amok would you know centripetal force would push you to something not the floors and this was like one of the best use it it was one of those times where the effects were used very cleanly and very lightly they had that one like slow-mo focus out of focus resolve of them at the top of falling so like they both came up to the ceiling and then fell down jonathan frakes is a good director i mean full stop he did a great job with first contact and as good a job with insurrection as you were going to do um and the episodes he's directed were all delightful and it's clear that he has not been getting lazy in in the off time from star trek and and 
I, I think that might, maybe there was like some like like it was it's clearly not just PR for him to say he cares about Star Trek and maybe that's that you know made its way in some in a bunch of tiny things that you know that you can't identify but collectively you know color a piece like it's clear he shepherded the story really well with that said I do have to point out what I found extremely irritating about uh the direction and that was the uh, sort of steady cam rotating shots around a conversation. There was one in particular that was going around this, uh, you know, galactic timeline diagram or whatever, hologram uh, in uh, Lorca's ready room that is just like, dude, just stop fucking rotating the camera. I, I get it. You're clever, okay? You know, but after the first 30 seconds or so of the camera whipping around these characters, I'm just like, stop. Just stop. Let me just look at their faces, and it's not exciting anymore, okay? And then they did it again in engineering, and I, I was really over it by then. So, uh, you know, gratuitous <laughs> directing note, I guess. Uh, but overall, you know, really, really excellent involving you know sort of production values i would say uh the, it the production helped the story uh, yeah. it it, yeah. it wasn't wasn't gratuitous and it it helped draw me in and was interesting to look at you know so uh look i've praised the show okay like it was a good episode you know but it still suffers from four out of five of the major, major, major problems that the whole series suffers from. You know, it finally dispensed with just being a, a scattershot, you know, uh, sort of ADD, Adderall, you know, kind of experience where you just can't settle on a story. It So it settled on a story. Great. There were very few Klingons. Excellent. <laughs> you know, uh, and the Klingon you know, that was there spoke mostly English. Like, yeah. And, you know, the individual scenes could breathe, right? Like, I, I was much more interested in everything because a scene just went on for a little longer, you know? I got, I got to know the characters more until their necks were broken, uh, you know? But the other big problems with the show are still there, Right. You know, why is it a prequel? Why is it so gratuitously violent and swear laden? You know, uh, you know, what? <sighs> so it's encouraging. Look, if they made like four more episodes like this, it would be a distinct, measurable, uh, easily perceived improvement over the first half in my book. Um, and, and I would be much happier with the show if they just, they could just stay in the mirror universe for all I, uh, for all I care. Right. Um, you know, just like really dig into that, really explain it. That'd be great. I don't think they're going to stay there for more than two episodes personally. Yeah. We'll and and I've, I, I mean, I would, I would like them to find, I, I, if they can tell stories like this in the main universe, great. Um, uh, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll say it this way. I'm giving this a three, and it'd get a four without breaking a sweat had they not killed Culber. And unlike my uh, 
complaint about did they kill Cornwell, in which I was going to retroactively ding at a point for doing it, I will not upgrade it if they bring him back, because unless I... It just... Even if they succeed, I'm... I can't imagine still not wondering why they bothered. Like, whatever character arc the character would have had while alive but in danger I'm sure I think probably would have still been more interesting uh, but as it stands they did a good episode in the mirror universe something a sentence I have not said out loud in quite some time um, yeah they did a very good episode like and if nothing else they I want them I want to be very clear about why this was such a good episode while the production value and the Captain Killy joke all landed and supported it the reason the Mirror Universe epi- this Mirror Universe episode worked is because the episode put front and center the effects on the character of having to exist in this world. Yeah. So the so this is this is sweet spot of Star Trek for me. However fantastical your universe, I'll accept a mushroom engine as long as the stories you tell of people dealing with it have internal narrative consistency and credibility and interest. So, like, in a very real way, this episode was not about the Mirror Universe. This episode was about Burnham facing a lot of issues to save her crew. And I care about her doing that. So, just, so, so in case the writers listen to this and are sketching out ideas, I am less interested in twists and reveals and gasp moments than I am in watching a character exist in the story you've created. You can trust that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask this question. Discovery has given not great episodes. Has it ever? It's, how do I want to say this? Will Discovery ever give us, you know, a Who Watches the Watchers or a Inner Lights? A, maybe an unfair example, but like just a a, a quiet, slow episode in which the drama comes from something other than external life or death stakes. Uh, you know, I have my doubts. I want, um, and I want it to be clear that if a show were every episode like that, yeah, that might get boring. But, like, those are some great... Like, some of those episodes where it's just, like... Um, hmm. First Contact? Oh, yeah. Yeah, where there's just talking. Even to the extent Riker's life was at stake, it was a bit of a MacGuffin. Like, it wasn't like, like, just, yeah, just an episode where there, no we one... We were never truly worried that Riker was yeah. going to die, and yet it was an extraordinarily interesting story. Yeah, no one needs to shout. I, I want an episode where no one shouts. I want to know that they can do it. Because Star Trek has plenty of fantastic episodes where no one shouts. Where all of the narrative propulsion comes from something other than explosions and I, and again yeah. i i love deep space nine and captain cisco is not a man averse to shouting so i want to be clear that i'm not dismissing either of those ideas uh, of like warfare or shouting as narrative devices star trek has done them and done them well but even in star trek some like one of like some of the best moments in star trek for me are in like deep space nine even in that show were like uh, like when Kira's fake Cardassian father shows up and dies, They're like that last scene of her like just doing a three-minute speech about watching someone you care about slowly fade away from you in like one long shot, barely above a whisper, is one of the most arresting scenes for that character 
in that show. So I'm, I, I, I really like this episode because they hung the drama on character work. And I would like to see them go whole hog with that. I would like to see them hang an entire story, an entire discreet 45-minute unit of TV on character work. In well, which... yeah, that's the thing. It's like 30 minutes of it was pretty good character work, and then 15 minutes of it was just gratuitous shock garbage. Yeah, that's what I want. I just, I, I... And, if the, and again, if, if the show is more action-focused, I'm not going to be that angry because if nothing else I have so many other things to be angry about that the dipstick is just dry but I want to know what's in their toolbox uh, if they could have one conference room scene like have you do they not have a place to sit down and have a meeting <laughs> like just just once I want to know that it's in their ability to tell a scene and, and maybe it's like at some point it's like you can trust me like you can have a conversation without shouting. I'm, I'm getting close to shouting um, about the story and trust that I will invest as, as long as I am invested in your story. Um, like going back to reunion for a second up to Kalar's death. The rest of the episode was still really interesting. Like, like Kalar, Susie Plaxon, and again, making her character's death even more comprehensible, squeezed drama out of talking to the computer about accessing personal logs. <laughs> because the actress portrayed, the, the story told me why the character cared. I cared about it. So watching the character take steps to do the thing that they care about had interest. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the most exciting thing I've ever watched, but my interest was held. I knew it would be going somewhere. I knew it was building toward its climax. I, I wish, I do wish the climax were something other than Kalar's death. So that woman should just be in way more episodes. That's a separate discussion. Um, but it's like, you can trust the audience, as, and sounds pompous to say, but especially Trekkies. We're here for the tedious, nerdy conversations. I just, I, I watched Last Jedi today. I finally got around to doing it so I could stop avoiding spoilers. And the best moments in that movie for me were like the honest character moments. And like, and I get, you know, Star Wars is a more action story and it's much more whiz bang and that's fine. It's fun. I like them. I like them a great deal. But like the stuff that really got me was when the movie paused to let the characters register what had happened. Yeah. Um, Those are the best parts of the previous movie too. Yeah. Like, like maybe we're just built differently. Like I'm just like, especially in the age of CGI, I am I am unimpressed by any explosion. Like maybe when you had to like go to someone's garage and fill a model with fireworks and hope for the best, it felt maybe the investment got me in a different way. But like I am unimpressed by explosions. No, these things have to serve character and serve story. If it's just a bunch of shit that happens, and you know, wow, how many orcs did you fit on the screen? Well, I don't care if I don't care about, you know, Legolas or uh, what the hell's his name? <laughs> Strider is his real name. Oh, Aragorn. Yeah. If I don't care about Aragorn and I don't care about any of the people, then it does not impress me how many orcs you can fit on a screen, which is why the Hobbit movies sucked ass because I didn't care about any of the characters. It's like th the other movies spent the time building the characters to the degree where 
I could care about the CGI spectacle that they were not really in the same room as. And it was well done. And so, you know, it was it was executed on a level that, you know, I could get into it even if I didn't care about the characters. But because I cared about the characters, Lord of the Rings works, you know. And so it's like here they've done <laughs> they've done the hard part and they keep fucking up the easy part, you know. Yeah. They made us care about the characters and now they just keep making them do stupid things. So now that I just said that, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to go with a four on the episode, uh, probably just for the, the sheer propulsive sort of entertainment value of it. Um, you know, I, I'm like comparing it to the other episodes of the series in my mind, and it's it's got to be about as good as the Harry Mudd episode. And I I agree. I'm I'm fully acknowledging this is like and 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 maybe I, maybe I am react. I'm not going to say overreacting. I feel like my all my reactions are appropriate, um, but I feel like I'm having the stronger reaction because Star Trek finally gave me a gay character. Like maybe I would be like if they killed Tilly. It would be as dumb narratively, but I might be less personally angry. No, no, I'd still be angry because they keep they, they would keep killing women. Um, they killed Lorca. That'd be a that'd be a shocker. But like, um, like I I don't know. Just I I have I I am feeling a profound personal antipathy to this decision that I feel no compulsion at all to justify or or inhibit. Like, you finally gave me an interesting, non-two-dimensional, fully realized gay couple, and then you did this in a really gruesome way, too. Again, I started... This is not a show I would watch with my nine-year-old. And yeah. even at its most... I mean, I, there okay, maybe there's some later DS9 that I might hold off until there's, like, a, a one in the tens place of my child's age. Um but all of that, even like the, even like Chain of Command, I think I, I must have been uh, 91, 92, 9 or 10, 10 or maybe 11. Uh, I'm trying to think I could look it up. But like, not only did they kill the character in a way that felt narratively stupid, the manner in which they did it was also upsettingly graphic for what I want out of Star Trek. Like, yeah. Not I to, agree with that. I don't want to belabor the point, but this... And again, I'm not a prude. I'm not one of those people who thinks you can't show adults, you know, kissing and have the world melt down. I think kids know that adults sometimes kiss. But it's like, this is not something... Like, it just... Like, that more than anything sort of typifies either the people... Either they get Star Trek and just want it to be something radically different than I want it to be, or they don't get it. Um, and neither of those explanations makes me happy. Um... So it just, yeah, just, uh, I am docking this episode an entire point for killing one of the main gay characters, and it is my one act of protest, and, like, and even, and I get, and, I, and uh, I'm envisioning the conversation I'll be having with my friend about this after this episode posts, and we discuss my thoughts about, her thoughts about my thoughts, um, it's like, even if you, like, the, the fact that you had to tell me instantaneously after doing it, oh no, we didn't do that, then why did you do it? Like I yeah maybe that and maybe I've just finally hit some kind of breaking point of constantly being told over many forms of many different series of television oh no there's more coming you're in charge of when I get what part of the story why do you keep setting up a story that seems to be going in one direction that's stupid but oh no you'll court like 
you can just construct your story to organically build to the place where it needs to go where even when I have questions, they're like interesting questions or questions that characters in organically have. I'm just a little over constantly think, well, oh yeah, there's, there's, <clears throat> you don't need to play a deep game with me. You just need to tell me a damn story. Just drives me crazy. So that's it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, you know, the, the whole interview thing is indicative, I think, of, <sighs> Whenever, whenever there has been a situation where you need something external to the filmed drama to explain it, you fucked up. Right? Yeah. Like, one of the problems with the J.J. Abrams movie, you know, it's like, you know, what the hell was Nero doing for so long? You know, it's like, how did he convince all these people? What the hell was his motivation? It's not there. It's not on screen. And people are like, well, it was explained in the comic book. It's like, then it's a bad movie. Because if you don't explain it in the movie, it sucks. Okay? That that's just, that should be an axiom. If you need something outside of your narrative to explain your narrative, your narrative has big fucking problems. And, okay? and, to, and to parse the difference, I certainly have enjoyed... Uh, ancillary Star Trek materials that flesh out the story but are in no way required to enjoy that story. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, it. it's a tell. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a tell that either they don't have it all planned out or they think they went too far or they're worried about the sort of shock strategy they've adopted. And it's like, you know, why don't you just fix your goddamn show? Don't explain it to me. Just make it better. Um, <laughs> and I'm saying all this after having given this episode a four because two-thirds of it was oh, no, without the Culver quite, thing, quite good. Without the Culver thing, I'd be flirting with the five. I might not get all the way there, but like like I think we gave Intermere Darkly, or I think we're going to give it a five. We haven't actually graded it yet. But like if you give me like a taut interesting like yeah, you can do that. So yeah, I'm just I am I am mad enough I'm I'm mad and I'm not apologizing for it. I'm sorry, but I won't do it. Um <laughs> Well, so that's a seven, and I think that's a reasonable rating, uh based on <laughs> what has occurred on screen. Um yeah, I you know, I'm interested to see where it goes. Um not so much the Culver story, but uh the mirror story. Uh I mean, I looked at IMDb and I I'm pretty sure that uh the actor is done for the season. So if they're going to come back to it, it's going to be, you know, in the future. So they're going to make us go through a bunch of like mourning and mopey shit just to bring him back. You know? So why? Why? Why do it? I don't know. Because you think you're clever, I guess. Yeah, okay, uh, here's the thing. And I'm speaking as someone, like, who enjoys being clever. Stop trying to be so... Like, clever is not the most interesting way to tell a story. Like, stop writing a story to make... Like, your, the goal of your story should not be to impress me with your intellect. Like... Yeah. 
just it should be to make us care about the characters. Yeah, like like I'm not in, yeah, I'm just I, I, as far back as Lost and that whole I uh, like the that whole style of television. It's just it, I'm not impressed that you think you can outwit me. You have you are the only one in control of what I see. If I am missing something, it's because you chose not to tell it to me. And th- yeah. and that's fine. Like, you know, if I follow one character or I follow some characters, you know, there's unreliable narrators, you can build like you know, there are good twists. I'm not denying that. But there are twist the twist matters to the character and therefore it matters to me, not the twist was a twist for twist's sake to show how good you are at twists. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. So, right, yeah, well. I, I, I loved a lot of that episode. Saru, Saru should get, uh, what's his face, uh, should get a Best Supporting Actor Emmy solely for, like, the four, the four words, well, that's not clever. Like, I died. That was beautiful. It was funny. It was perfect. And I, I wanted to keep riding that high. <laughs> I wanted to keep that feeling the rest of the episode. So, yeah, I, gr- I agree with you. I largely don't think whatever explanation they will come up with will make this all worth it. And that makes me very sad because what I wanted for these characters was just to watch them be a couple. Like, on some level, like... Look, so we need to wrap it up, so I'm going to try to stop making the same point over and over again. But like, like on Next Gen, one of the most inter- like one of the funnest recurring plots for me is like watching O'Brien and the O'Briens be the like you could yeah she gave birth in ten four during a disaster that was like a stakes raising it was kind of like a weird episode but like by and large like I I liked that glimpse into their lives I liked watching what it must be like to be a normal couple who gets married and has kids and have careers like even on deep space nine they had fights about whose career gets priority that's what that's interesting to me because i care about the characters their those characters care about their jobs and care about their family and when those things come into conflict drama ensues no one needed like yeah that perfect example i i want to see the gay o'briens that's what I want. After 50 years, I think Star Trek owes... Uh, try not to use the language owes when it comes to discussing fandom, because I think it's a very freighted term. But it's like, it, it's an overdue story, and it's one Discovery was in an apparently unique position to do really, really well. And even if they find a way to untangle this knot, the untangling of the knot will not be as narratively satisfying for me as watching a gay couple inhabit this universe that I've spent most of my adult life fantasizing wanting to be a part of. Like, that's... Yeah what i want (laughs) so that's it the end seven out of ten could have been an eight out of ten even like a nine out of ten i think i could have mustered a five if whatever they spent the time killing culber was spent doing anything more interesting but i will be back next week for more mirror universe and hopefully less bearing of my gaze (laughs) yep all right well live long and prosper everybody